This episode of the Fit Cookie Nutrition Podcast is brought to you by Koros Global. To get a free watch accessory, like a watch band, with any Koros watch purchase, visit the link in the show notes and use code FITCOOKIENUTRITION at checkout. Hey, everybody, and welcome to today's episode. I am Holly Samuel, and I am a registered dietitian, certified personal trainer, master of health education and eating disorders, CEO of Fit Cookie Nutrition, my private nutrition and run coaching practice, and I am your podcast host today, although I will be joined today by guest Bess Matheson, who is a doctor of physical therapy, and she specializes in pelvic floor health. And Oof, this is a topic that I think affects a lot of runners, um, especially female runners. It does affect male runners too, and Bess talks a little bit about that in the episode. But I mean, guys, like the pelvic floor is so important, and I think so many of us would benefit from knowing more about it, about what symptoms are not normal, especially during pregnancy and postpartum as runners or just everyday active people and where to get help to kind of get back to your baseline um, and be able to really be a strong runner moving forward and not have symptoms like leaking, bladder urgency, incontinence, um, bowel movement urgency, pelvic pain, get in your way as a runner. Because these things, while they may be common, are definitely not normal. Um, and I, I notice a lot of my clients definitely struggle with some of these things um, who have had children or in the process of fixing overuse injuries or chronic just imbalances in their body that running tends to exacerbate since it is such a high impact sport. Now, before we get into our interview with Bess on this topic, if you guys are enjoying the podcast, I would really appreciate a five-star rating and review on your podcast player like Apple Podcasts um, or Spotify if you are able. It just really helps the podcast find its way to other people who are also going to benefit from hearing this information. And I really appreciate the feedback. Um, It allows us to get awesome sponsors like Koros for the podcast and gain legitimacy and traction in the podcasting industry. And I really appreciate your listenership. Now let's get into our episode on pelvic floor health and runners with Bess Matheson. Hi, Bess, and welcome to the Fit Cookie Nutrition Podcast. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, I'm so excited to have you. I think um, I'm really lucky that my lovely interns bring such great podcast um, guests onto onto my show. Um, I have not met you before, so I'm really excited to talk to you about our topic today. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, this is this is my first podcast recording, so (laughs) so bear with me in that. But I'm excited to be here as well. Nice. I'm sure you'll do great. Um, well, yeah. And shout out to Emily for introducing us. Um, my, my fit cookie nutrition intern, Emily, but yeah, so let's kind of dive right in. You can introduce yourself and tell everyone, uh, who you are, what you do and where you live. Yeah. So, um, I am his best. I'm a doctor of physical therapy. Um, I am also a mom of three and, uh, an athlete, a, a runner, cyclist, rock climber, um, we kind of just do a lot to be outside moving with our family and our kids. Um, and I just, in this past August, I've been a physical therapist for um, almost 10 years now. And um, just this past August opened a private practice where I do treat um, orthopedics. And I've um, 
but also been specially trained in pelvic health. And so I see a lot of men and women um, with um, pelvic floor issues. So that, you know, incontinence, um, bowel issues, pelvic pain. I see a lot of pregnancy and postpartum. And my goal is just to get people back moving, doing what they want to do. And pelvic health has been a passion of mine because it can affect everything that you do. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's a super interesting field and I think like not enough people know about it yet, but we should, because everyone I think could probably benefit from it at some point in their lives. And totally. um, where's your practice located? So I am in Abingdon, Virginia. So we are at the very um, kind of Southwest tip of the state and um, a small town, um, but you know, really beautiful setting in, in the mountains and we like to get outside. So that's awesome. They're lucky to have you there, but thank um, you. yeah. So, I mean, that's awesome. So if you could like dive into just like what made you want to become a physical therapist and specifically like what led you to specialize more in pelvic floor? Yeah. So I, um, actually started running, I would say with my mom, I was probably 12 or 13 and really wanted to, um, make our high school soccer team. It was very competitive. And so I started running in, um, preparation for that. And, um, really at the time, you know, didn't love it, but, um, then as I in high school kind of joined the track and cross country team, but, um, got myself into a variety of overuse injuries that first went to a physical therapist who, um, I felt like was not the most individualized, didn't really, um, I was just not impressed and kind of ended up was injured again. And then went to this other lady who was amazing, um, Pat Keating. Um, I don't know if she, um, she's still practicing, but, um, I was just fascinated by, um, her ability to use, I mean, her hands and her knowledge of anatomy and physiology and um, how muscles can, I mean, can function and should function, but then um, also how we can use your muscles to rehab. And like, um, it was just totally this awesome concept to me. And so I knew pretty early, I guess I wanted to go into physical therapy. Um, and I went to uh, St. Louis University uh, in St. Louis, Missouri, and um but it wasn't for until I had been practicing for about six years and um, had become a mom that I grew this interest in pelvic health. And that's really, I would say, how a lot of physical therapists that practice in pelvic health have been in some sort of, have been dealing with some sort of issue themselves. And um, whether it has been chronic pelvic pain or the you know journey of being pregnant and um, delivering a child and then trying to get back to fitness is, um, kind of a sweet spot for where pelvic health is really important. And, um, there's a huge lack of knowledge, I think in general, a huge lack of, um, just kind of access to that as a normal part of postpartum care. And then, um, it's just is so misleading. Like I obviously I feel strongly about this, but it's so misleading. I think to women who have had a baby to go back and, you know, at a six week follow-up, oh, just start working out again. And, um, you know, there's so many musculoskeletal changes that happen that really would benefit from rehab that, and to prevent future issues that I see patients coming in 20 years later with. So, 
Oh, I love that story. And I love to, um, like how, you know, you kind of used physical therapy in your own like athletic journey and then, you know, kind of took that interest to help others. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, in terms of like, even your experience with the, the couple of different physical therapists, when you were younger, I think it's always super interesting. Like, you know, when you see someone and I've talked to clients about this too, who's just like, it's just not helpful or, you know, they're trying to help like probably six people at the same time. And you're not really feeling like you're getting as much out of it compared to finding that person where it's like, ah, I I really am getting a lot out of this. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I, I hate when I hear that patients, Oh, I I tried physical therapy and I failed (laughs) or, or, you know, it didn't work. I'm like, well, maybe it just wasn't a good fit at that clinic or, you know, that wasn't the, that therapist didn't have the right approach that you needed. Um, so I think that in, in every profession, there is people that are great at it and people that, um, have other strengths <laughs> so. yeah, or other specialties. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. well, that's awesome. And yeah, I mean, even just like talking about, um, the pelvic floor and the, the whole like interesting situation that happens to a lot of women who have kids. And then six weeks later, you know, doctors just like, yeah, you're cool. Go, go do what you were doing before. I think it's kind of like when you graduate college, people expect you to like be able to do your taxes. And it's like, no one taught me how to do my taxes. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. so, So can you just talk a little bit about like, what is the pelvic floor for people who are having trouble, you know, conceptualizing that? And like, why is it so important in our daily functioning? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, the pelvic floor is really unique in how it is a muscle group that is exclusively inside your body. So it is harder to see or feel maybe than, you know, muscles that move joints. Like I kind of use the example of, you know, moving your, your bicep moves your elbow or, um, you know, your quad moves your knee. Um, and so the pelvic floor is located inside. So if you kind of have your hands on your hip bones and then, um, picture how that makes kind of a bowl and the pelvic floor sits as like a hammock of muscles inside of there. And, um, they, if we are trying to differentiate those muscles in the front, like if you're on a bike seat, I like to describe finding those muscles, like you're on a bike seat. And if you picture you're sitting over top of your butt bones, um, so those are the side to side borders of those muscles. And then if you kind of roll your pelvis forward, onto your pubic bone. That's that front border. There's a lot, especially in women, a lot more superficial muscles there that can be really tender, especially in pregnancy and postpartum. There's some laxity there. And um, then if you come backwards onto the tailbone, that's kind of the back border of those muscles. So it's essentially two triangles that make up this hammock of muscles that sit inside your um, hip bones, essentially. Um, And when I'm describing the anatomy of the pelvic floor, I also like to uh, point out that no muscle in your body functions in isolation. So the pelvic floor works as a part of a team that makes up your core. So if you picture your core kind of like a cylinder shaped balloon, the pelvic floor is at the bottom of that cylinder and the respiratory diaphragm, your breathing diaphragm sits at the top of that. And then when we are looking at the front of that cylinder, your deepest layer of abdominals, so we have four layers of abdominals, the deepest of those are the front of that cylinder, and then your deep back muscles sit at the back of that. And ideally, we want those 
for um, groups to kind of function in a nice coordinated movement pattern. But then when we have things like pregnancy that is, you know, increasing weight through the front. So you have a necessary separation of those abdominal muscles um, that causes, so there's some weakness in the front and then the back muscles are trying to carry more of that load. So those get really tight. And then the pelvic floor is also carrying a lot of load too. So those get tight and are making up for a lot of weakness in um, kind of the, the rest of that cylinder. So um, the, yeah, so that is kind of basic overview. I can never describe just the pelvic floor and um, kind of give people the sense that it functions on its own. But I mean, it also ties in so closely with the hips and the glutes. And um, so I'm always looking at the whole body when someone's coming in and telling me about their pelvic floor issues and look at it as a whole because it functions as a part of a whole. Totally. And I think like, um, people might be familiar with, oh yeah, like the core muscles and like picture maybe a six pack abs, like in their head. And I love that you described how much more complex it is than that. And, you know, just because you have abs doesn't mean you have a strong core. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And the pelvic floor is the core. And I think changing the um, view of the core as one dimensional and that it is a three, you know, 3d structure inside your body. Like if you picture an apple core, you know, you're picturing that whole thing, not just the front of the apple. (laughs) Totally. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. If you were to like, I like that visual. If you were to slice it. Um, yeah, I, it's, I, I think that blows a lot of people's minds. Like just because you have abs does not mean that you have a strong core. And just because you have a strong core does not mean you will have visible abs. (laughs) Right. Right. Totally. Not that simple. Um, but yeah, in terms of the pelvic floor too, you also mentioned at the beginning when you were describing what you do and, um, you know, what your practice is like, um, that you help both men and women. So yeah, Mm -hmm. I mean, I think there's probably obvious concerns for pelvic floor health in women who are, you know, especially like pregnant and postpartum, but, um, can you tell us a little bit about like, just who can struggle with pelvic floor issues? Yeah, absolutely. And that, um, I think is also a misconception that all people have pelvic floors, (laughs) that it's not just part of female anatomy that, um, you know, all humans have pelvic floors and, um, and I was looking on a location to where uh, open my practice. And you know, I, there were a couple of conversations where I you know, said to my husband, I'm like, well, there's pelvises everywhere. And so that's everyone has one. But um, yeah, so with that said, yes, the more common um, concerns when people are thinking, oh, I've heard of pelvic floor dysfunction. My grandma had prolapse or my mom has, you know, pees every time she jumps on the trampoline. And so I think those are your more um, common things that you know of. Um, I love to work to prevent those types of things in my younger patients who are maybe just pregnant or just had a a baby. And so there's so much that can be prevented in those, um, you know, older kind of menopause and then older than that, um, pelvic health concerns. However, I do see because everyone has a pelvis, I do see men with pelvic pain. Um, the uh, pelvic floor is, very integrated with all of the sacral nerves. And so there can be issues of, again, if you're picturing that cylinder shaped core, if there is um, with back surgeries, a lot of times there's residual weakness in those back muscles. And then the pelvic floor then can be overcompensating from weakness in the back, weakness in the abs. And so those muscles are um, 
essentially can over tighten and create some nerve pain, which can be really like painful sitting, um, tailbone pain. Um, a lot of cyclists can end up with some pelvic floor dysfunction. Um, and then also a, a large part of my male population is gentlemen after prostate cancer. So um, after a prostatectomy, there is um, a period of incontinence that can really be improved with pelvic floor therapy. Oh, that's super interesting and good to know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like, you know, knowing our audience here too is primarily female, um, endurance athletes, especially runners. Um, like what are the most common pelvic floor issues you see in that population? Yeah. So, um, I mean, incontinence with running is a frustrating incontinence and prolapse. I would say are probably the most two common, um, issues with, um, repetitive movements because, of, um, on one hand, you know, we want good, um, strength through the core and coordination through the core, but then you can also overdo it. And so I actually just had a patient in yesterday who, um, she did not have issues with leaking with running, but with jump roping. And, um, she's like, well, I've been doing all my kegels. And I'm like, well, there's your issue. Um, I mean, we, you know, did muscle assessments and kind of did the whole body approach, but, you know, doing kegels and just repetitively trying to squeeze those muscles is only moving those muscles in one direction. And so you can overdo that, create tightness through those muscles. And when there's too much tightness, there's not movement to close the holes. So if you think of a muscle that needs to be able to close some holes, if it's too tight, it's not going to be able to do that. So, um, if you are doing pelvic floor exercises, make sure you're um, able to release and lengthen those muscles is just as if not more important than being able to contract. And you should never be doing Kegels while you're running or like, so there, I think is a lot of misconception too of what are Kegels? What should we do with those? When should we do those? Who should do those? Um, because it's not a blanket. Every person should do those. Um, and um, then again, prolapse is a diagnosis where there is some shift of the pelvic organs um, and a lack of support and stability in the pelvic floor. So that's when um, more often in women, I would say most often in women, um, you can get this feeling of heaviness, like a bulge, um, like something is falling out, can also contribute to bladder urgency with running. So if you're feeling like you have to pee over and over again, you're like, I just emptied my bladder. Why do I feel like I need to pee? Um, sometimes a shift of those pelvic organs can be contributing to that. And, um, and that is another diagnosis that is, you know, very um, treatable, but is there's just kind of a, a lot of education that goes into the management of it. Gotcha. I love that visual of like the Kegels. It's like you could do a bicep curl to strengthen your bicep, but that's one exercise. Like, correct. <laughs> yeah. Like it's not going to do everything for you and it might lead to being like a bit imbalanced. So, um, yes. like obviously you can't give like, you know, a comprehensive PT rehab plan to people you don't know who are listening, but, um, like in terms of those two bigger issues that you see, like what mm -hmm. are examples of other pelvic floor exercises? Because I think a lot of people listening are probably thinking pelvic floor Kegels. Um, yeah. so like what else is there? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, learning to 
do a Kegel correctly, you know, having a healthcare provider say, oh, you just had a baby, you need to go do Kegels, or someone goes to the doctor, oh, I'm leaking, you need to do Kegels. Um, number one, learning how to do it correctly, okay? So those pelvic floor muscles sit inside the um, hip bones, essentially, and I kind of that visual of it's like a core, a cylinder-shaped core, and they move kind of like a piston. So when you inhale, that is when those pelvic floor muscles are able to lengthen and stretch out essentially. And a Kegel is when they are shortening and lifting up and in. And so learning how to lengthen those muscles happens with an inhale. And um, I like the practice of laying on your side. So that's a good position where you can kind of access and physically feel with your fingers. Um, so if you're laying on your side and then use your fingers to kind of feel your butt bones. Okay. So you just kind of move up your thigh bone to find where you can feel your butt bone and then your tailbone. So the base of your spine to that very pointy tip, there is a diagonal in between those two. If you bring your fingers just inside that diagonal, and so you're laying on your side, this is your top hand. And think about breathing, like so taking a nice big inhale through your nose and getting that air all the way down into your fingers is a good way to be able to feel that mobility of those pelvic floor muscles. And a lot of times doing it on your side, you can notice a difference. So say you're laying on your right side, you're feeling the left pelvic floor muscles, you may notice, oh, I feel, I can't really feel much movement at all on this left side. And then when you lay on the opposite side, you're like, oh, I can feel this really easily. And so then that's saying, okay, there may be a little bit of tightness through that left side of the pelvic floor. And then thinking about how those muscles are related to the hip muscles. So if we're doing muscle strength testing and we're like, oh, well that side that was much tighter in the pelvic floor was much weaker through the glutes and the hips. So we're saying that pelvic floor is trying to make up for weakness in the glutes and the hips. And so let's try to target those, get those pelvic floor muscles to calm down and have a little more balance in that um, muscle function. So that would be one, the ability to just kind of find those muscles is huge um, and learning to breathe, um, not breathing through your neck and your shoulders. Um, and sometimes even just sitting on, a, if you have a ball, like a big exercise, I'm sitting on one right now. Um, if you can sit on a ball, sit on a chair or something like that and watch yourself in the mirror, watch yourself breathing and notice, gosh, do I see a lot of movement in my neck muscles when I'm inhaling? Are my shoulders coming up and down? Um, because we want that breath. We want to be able to breathe deeply. We want movement of the diaphragm with your breathing because then that translates into movement of the pelvic floor and um, which is a, a healthy thing to be happening when you're breathing. Mind blowing. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, we need to breathe. We need to breathe yeah. fully. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, no, that's, that's really helpful. I think, um, with, with any like thing from a, as a PT, like, yeah, like tightening, contracting the muscles important and then relaxing it and having mobility is also 
super important and it's all connected. Like if you do have weakness in other parts of your pelvis, your core, you know, other parts of your body, it, it can impact the pelvic floor and it's almost like an overuse injury. It sounds like. Hey everybody. Have you heard from our newest sponsor, Coros wearables? Coros makes GPS watches that help athletes train to be their best. Coros uses top-of-the-line hardware with innovative technology to provide endurance athletes with the gear that they need. When you use a Coros product, you know you're getting a tool that has been designed, tested, and perfected for the athlete by the athlete. And speaking of athletes sponsored by Coros Global, have you heard of Elliot Kipchoge, Des Linden, Emma Bates, Molly Seidel? I mean, come on, you've probably heard of them, and they use Coros products. Kuros watches allow you to create your own personalized workouts and training plans for running, cycling, swimming, and even strength or core workout at the gym. If you need an extra reminder to properly fuel during your workout, Kuros has you covered with their customizable nutrition alerts. So you can basically have me on your wrist, pinging you every 30 to 45 minutes on your runs to remind you to fuel. Pretty cool stuff. Koros users have set world records, Elliot Kipchoge, and been to the highest point on earth, pushing their products to the extremes. At Koros, creation and innovation is never ending. And for Koros, the user is the focus. So if you are looking to try out a new Koros product and you want to be part of the Koros community, you can use code FITCOOKIENUTRITION at checkout to receive a free accessory with your watch purchase. You can use the link that's in the show notes to do this, and you just can pick out whatever accessory that you want on their page and add it to your cart, and you'll get it for free with the code FITCOOKIENUTRITION. I personally switched over to the Koros Apex over a year ago now from my Garmin Forerunner 220, which I also loved, but the Apex is gorgeous. It's probably one of their more simple models, which kind of defines what I look for in a watch. I just want it to be simple, although this one does still have quite a few bells and whistles that I use. Um, And it's honestly super comfortable to wear. It's not too big on your wrist. And the interface is really, really pretty, and the app is easy to use. So again, if you're looking to try out a Coros product, visit the link in the show notes. Use code FITCOOKIENUTRITION at checkout to get a free accessory with your purchase. Now let's get back to today's episode. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. So with, with runners, especially kind of our female population who may struggle with like incontinence or even bladder prolapse, um, Mm -hmm. or even other things, like what are signs and symptoms that someone may be having like a pelvic floor issue? And at what point, um, would you recommend like they really bring in a pelvic floor PT into their care team? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so leaking, obviously if you are exercising and wearing a pad to, you know, if you're putting on a pad to go for a run or to do some CrossFit or lifting, um, that is a symptom. There is some issue in how you're managing pressure in your core. That is, you know, whether that is, um, weakness through the pelvic floor, whether that's tightness, whether that's just, you're not coordinated and how that should be moving. Um, if there is bladder urgency, so you pee before you run, And then you go, you've warmed up for five minutes. You're like, gosh, I need to pee again. Or I need to pee again. Um, You know, that 
so urgency, just having to pee all the time, um, feeling pressure or heaviness um, either during or after a run, um, uh, diastasis, so the separation of those abdominals. Like I said, that is a beautiful, necessary thing that happens during pregnancy. But if you are working out and um, postpartum or not, but see, say you're doing a plank and you look down and you see some doming, like you're um, kind of see that tinting of your abdominals. Again, that's a symptom that there is some issue in pressure management in the deep core. Um, another one is that you're not pooping. <laughs> um, I mean, that can be an issue of pelvic floor tension and tightness and um, can also be addressed by physical therapy. So um, yeah, kind of a lot of those bowel and bladder and pressure, any pelvic pain um, things, but then sometimes back pain can be a symptom of prolapse because of how those are all connected. Back pain hip pain, tailbone pain. Um, a lot of those are all connected. That's really helpful. I think, um, I, from my like, um, you know, perspective as a dietitian too, like what I help runners with is like fueling their runs, especially hydration and fueling strategies for their long runs. And that's something I hear from a lot of women. They're kind of scared to do that. Um, mm -hmm. you know, because it may result in, them having to pee more often. And I know that they're dehydrated because they're not physically yeah. drinking a lot of water. Right. Um, right. but then they just feel like, Oh, but then I'm going to have all these bathroom stops or have like these issues. And I think, yeah, like in that situation, you're really limiting yourself if you're not really feeling your body well because of some of these issues with the pelvic floor. Yeah. And totally with the hydration, um, I mean, all of your soft tissue functions better when you're hydrated, but then also the bladder especially is, um, so concentrated dehydrated urine is an irritant. And so if you're limiting water to try to pee less, your urine is going to be much more concentrated and it's going to irritate your bladder more. So, um, I think that is a, um, you know, most people are like, well, I'm trying not to pee. I want to not drink, but it is counterproductive. <laughs> I want to like put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Your highly yeah. concentrated urine is not helping you. <laughs> yes. That's yeah. amazing. Um, so in terms of like, you know, maybe someone is recognizing this within themselves, um, and maybe they are getting help and they're still working on it. Um, and I know I've, I've heard other people who have seen pelvic floor therapists, um, physical therapists talk about this, like, you know, if you're still kind of having some of these things on the run, cause no progress is linear and there's still going to be some symptoms as you go, um, mm -hmm. and fix the problem. Like, are there any specific, um, like cues or tips you can give people, um, you know, to focus on from like a form perspective or even, um, like a manual therapy perspective to help like with incontinence while they're running as they're kind of working through these problems at a more root cause approach. Yeah. Yeah. And I like that question because I also, as a runner, athletes hate the advice to just stop what you're doing. <laughs> and, you know, and typically that kind of advice comes from someone who's not an athlete and you're like, well, I'm going to keep running <laughs> or, you know, and, um, and so I like to say, let's, let's modify how you're doing something so that we can decrease your symptom. And maybe, you know, you'll get back to doing this mileage you want or this intensity you want, but right now let's kind of modify it. Um, and so one thing with, bladder urgency or as runners we know there's a lot of times bowel urgency you're like the last few miles you're like oh gosh I don't know if I'm gonna make it um 
knowing that, so your um, ground reaction force, so the um, impact on your body is greater with longer strides. So if you tend to, if you can picture a, you know, I guess snapshot of somebody running, when you have that really long stride with uh, landing on the heel, that is huge ground force reaction on the body that is just much more um, stress to the core and the pelvic floor. And so if you are at the end of a run and feeling that, I'm not going to make it, um, shortening your stride. And so taking shorter, quicker steps um, is going to make it so there's less um, impact and on the core itself. And then also leaning forward a little bit. So, and not bending over, so not um, bending at the hips, but kind of shifting. If you picture a ski jumper, those really long ski jumpers, so they have their feet are up or their skis are up, but their body is straight and they are leaning forward. So just having a slight forward lean is going to take a little bit of that pressure off as well. Oh, that's awesome. So like when you're having that symptom and you're like, where's the bathroom, you know, Mm -hmm. shortening your stride, short, quick steps, lean forward a little bit that that might help um, with the pressure. Yes. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Everyone try that if you're listening right now and you're struggling. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and then also I always come back to the breathing, um, you know, that trying not to, oh gosh, like you get stressed when you feel like you need to go. And then you get into this really short, shallow breathing pattern and your, your shoulders come up and you are um, trying to then slow down your breathing because that is also going to help the, the pelvic floor to move. If you are, you know, taking those really short um, steps, it's going to kind of tense and make things a little more stressful. Totally. And it's like, so human to like react that way. It's like, be like a duck, be calm and breathe, but also short, quick steps like underneath. Yeah. 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 Um, in terms of like kind of the period of life where, you know, someone might be wanting to get pregnant, um, you know, maybe they're like, I feel like my pelvic floor is decent. Like I, you know, I, I don't have any issues currently. Maybe I want to think about getting pregnant and, you know, the thought of carrying a bowling ball, you know, on your pelvis is, scary. Um, do you have any like tips for people in that phase of life where, you know, they can keep having good pelvic floor health or any, um, like, would you recommend they start seeing a pelvic floor therapist early? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I do love the, um, I mean, theory that we can have continuity of care from while someone's trying to conceive kind of preparing your body for pregnancy. Um, because pretty much as soon as you can see that little baby is causing all sorts of hormonal changes and, um, that, I mean, even within six weeks, you have, um, aerobic, like you'll notice changes in heart rate changes, in um, blood flow. And so if we can start early, absolutely getting to say, okay, well, what's going to change in your back? What's going to change in your hips? What is your baseline? So um, that abdominal separation needs to happen in order for a baby to grow. And so looking at, okay, what is baseline for you? Because some people, their baseline is a one to two finger width um, separation. And so going into it saying, okay, is that something that we can improve? So that's not going to be an issue later on in pregnancy and after delivery. Um, But so getting a good baseline is really good. I think also just encouraging women to, um, you know, recognize like pregnancy is a beautiful thing and women's bodies are an amazing design and that 
just because you've either gotten pregnant doesn't mean, gosh, I can't work out now or I can't do this or that. No, pregnancy is not a time to PR, but it's also a really good time to learn how to connect with your core as it's changing by the day. Um, and then with, you know, once you have delivered a baby, that doesn't mean, gosh, I'm going to pee every time I go on a run or I have a patient this morning, just like, well, I didn't know I'd be able to jump on a trampoline again. And, um, I like, it's, I, I just hate the perspective that, oh, because, you know, I've had this baby and, you know, I love this baby, but it has done havoc to my body and I'm never going to be the same. And you have a new normal, you know, you're, uh, as a mom, your, your body is different, but it, it can be so strong. And, um, so, um, I, I am not exaggerating when I say like, I have gotten like stronger and faster. I've had three kids and I don't leak. And I don't, I mean, I'm like any pelvic floor therapist dealing with some of my, you know, working on a diastasis and, you know, managing prolapse and, um, but, you know, still stronger in my mid thirties than I was as a high schooler. And I think that, um, learning that just because you um, choose to become a mother doesn't mean your career as an athlete has gone out the window and that really there's so much that you can continue to excel at and I think that is an important message to not be afraid to have kids because um, you know because of, oh what's this going to do to my body oh, I love that and I think like that message is becoming a, a little bit more prevalent because yeah. of the crazy, awesome, deep, like, you know, elite field and us women's running. I mean, yeah. the American record in the marathon was just set by, I think a mom of two or three kids yeah. and she's like 37 years old. So I, yeah. I love that. You can speak to that too. Yeah. Um, and it, in terms of like postpartum too, um, like, I, I know the, the typical recommendation has been like, oh, six weeks, you're back, you can do whatever. Um, I know some research is saying more like 12 to 16 weeks. What is your kind of take on that? Yeah. So the six weeks is kind of arbitrary <laughs> and, um, you know, and that assessment it is really just super old school. And even that you're waiting six weeks to go see a doctor is too long. In my opinion, there should be care sooner than that, especially if you're having, yes, there's going to be after a vaginal delivery, there's going to be some, um, weakness and, um, residual, um, soreness maybe, and maybe pelvic pain coming back to sexual activity. Like, yes, some of those things are normal postpartum, but should not like, you shouldn't wait to address that if it is, uh, more than normal, I guess, I, you know, I should say that like, should never persist more than six weeks. And, six weeks is also not that, oh, I've hit this mark. I should be better by now. Um, I'm good to go. And, um, longer with a C-section, um, that is a major abdominal surgery and, um, addressing scar tissue can be a huge factor in bladder urgency. Um, and that, um, just addressing it as a major abdominal surgery and that, however the baby comes out, you're recovering from pregnancy and that change in your uh, posture with the abdominal weakness, increased strain through the lumbar spine, a, a change in your pelvic tilt. And um, so yes, the recommendation in that of 12 weeks is more of a starting point to get back to impact. And um, just because prior to that, and so that's the length of a trimester. So thinking of the fourth trimester 
as this is my rehab time. This is my time to address, um, you know, maybe the kind of reconnecting with my core, reconnecting with my pelvic floor, learning how to breathe again, because your breathing gets dysfunctional with pregnancy. Um, the space of the baby there makes it so the diaphragm can't move as much as it would need to. And so just learning how to breathe again, um, I mean, that's going to affect your rib cage mobility. And so there's a lot of little things that you can do in 12 weeks and give your body the time to be able to handle that impact before you get back to just six weeks. I'm going to put my running shoes on and go out. And, um, and so, but everybody's different, you know, that taking into account, how was I able to do during pregnancy? Could I exercise during pregnancy? Some, everyone experiences uh, different symptoms. I was very thankful to be able to exercise throughout my pregnancies. I have good friends who also healthy athletes, but their bodies just responded differently and were sick most of the time. And so, you know, that is going to make your postpartum recovery take a lot longer as well. And so just knowing that, you know, I'm different than the woman next to me and maybe her pregnancy looked different and her postpartum looks different. So not comparing yourself to that person on Instagram, that's maybe back doing a marathon in eight weeks or whatever, like everybody is different. And, um, being able to give your body that grace to come back from the most physically demanding thing you've put your body through for a year, (laughs) um, you know, pregnancy and childbirth, you know, I think addressing that fourth trimester as that really important time of rehab, um, is important. I like calling it that too. Like the fourth trimester, like it is a period, it's a long, longer period of time than six weeks. And, you know, we can start doing things with all of those little things that were adjusted during pregnancy to start building yourself back stronger. Um, and it just, the timeline's going to look a little different on everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and actually the term fourth trimester, so ACOG is the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology. So they do acknowledge those 12 weeks after delivery as a fourth trimester period. And really, um, I mean, in other countries, the um, their ACOG in that country um, recommends Australia comes to mind and that Australia and um, I guess, uh, England and Scotland have very progressive, like see a physical therapist within two weeks of delivery and, um, you know, have that follow-up postpartum care. And so in the long term, have much better outcomes. Oh my God, that would be great. Can we do that here? (laughs) That's my goal. (laughs) I would love that to be the norm. And so that is, that is my public message. I try to get out there. Seriously. And like with that too, if someone's listening to this, maybe they're, you know, they just had their baby and they're, you know, wanting to get back to running, or maybe they're like, you know, seven years postpartum and they're like, man, I never fixed any of those problems. And I know Mm -hmm. they're not normal now. Like, how would you recommend someone go about finding a pelvic floor PT near them? Since I know it's still kind of like, you know, it's not the norm in the U S right. Right. Yeah. Well, it's never too late. So for that person that is, you know, five, 10, 20 years postpartum, yeah you know, love it or hate it. Once postpartum, always postpartum. (laughs) It just, by definition, it means you've had a baby. And so it's never too late to address those symptoms. It's never too late to see improvement. Um, And so there are the Institute that I trained with Herman and Wallace Pelvic Rehab. They have a site called pelvicrehab.com. So they have a directory. Um, There is also see uh, APTA is the American Physical Therapy Association 
Um, they have a chapter of uh, Pelvic Health, Academy of Pelvic Health, and they have a find a PT on there. Um, so those are sites you can search to find a physical therapist. Um, so unfortunately, yeah, it is a growing field, a growing specialty, but there's still a huge need in, um, in most areas. And so it's, but, and, and then sometimes just, you know, hopefully your, um, your doctor, like a, um, OBGYN or your primary care may have, um, be familiar with some, uh, pelvic floor physical therapists in the area as well. Yeah. I would love to see it be more normalized. I think, um, one of my clients who comes to mind, she was like one or two years postpartum and I was working on with her on nutrition and like some hormone stuff, um, that she was having issues with postpartum. And she was talking to me about, you know, some pelvic stuff she was experiencing and some barriers to exercise because of it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, well, like, have you seen a pelvic floor physical therapist? That might be a really good idea for you. And she was like, what's that? And then we talked about it. She got, she found, you know, a PT who's pelvic floor near her. And she's telling this to the PT and the PT is like, why did your dietitian tell you to come to me instead of your OBGYN? Like what is wrong with this picture? So I would love to see it become just more of like, you know, you, you have a uh, problem with your car, you go to a mechanic, you have a problem with your pelvic floor, you go to a pelvic floor PT. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for, I mean, being aware of that and being, I mean, a, a voice for, no, that's not normal and we can help you, but you need to get to the right person. And because yes, it happens, you know, I'll have patients come into the clinic and have no idea like why they're there, what we're going to do. And um, a lot of times that initial visit is, oh, what is pelvic floor therapy? What are we going to do? And, um, so having voices like yours that are working with, you know, new moms or just athletes and saying, nope, those symptoms aren't normal. Go, go see someone about that is, is very valuable. So thank you. (laughs) Oh, you're so welcome. And thank you. And yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show today too. Um, I know, I know a lot of people are going to get a lot of value out of this information. And now I want to ask you the end of the podcast (laughs) question, which I did warn you about. So maybe you thought on it some, but, um, yeah, yeah, so you are, you are crossing the finish line of like the best race of your life. You're having just like a great day. There was no leaking on course. You didn't have any bladder urgency. <laughs> Everything's going great. Um, what song would be playing to embody how you're feeling crossing the finish oh, line? Oh gosh. Yeah. I've thought about this question because I do. So I'm a huge Beyonce fan yes. and, um, yeah, seen her in concert a few times. Um, but yeah, so it'd be between Beyonce and um the Daft Punk Alive album (laughs) and um but if I'm being honest I don't listen to music when I run um I prefer just the quiet um but yeah in a um finish line um of race it would probably be uh, Beyonce run the world maybe I love it that's a that's a really good answer I haven't gotten that one yet I have um gotten Daft Punk before by um I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Stacey Sims but she did yeah I love yes yeah Yeah. so um she said Daft Punk yes yeah so Daft Punk the whole Alive 2007 album I could do a full like interval like I do that's my favorite um interval workout album (laughs) That's awesome. Well, you and her could listen to that together and work out. Yeah, I'm glad we have that in common. I really look up to her. (laughs) Yeah, me too. (laughs) Well, awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Um, And yeah, I hope you have a good rest of your day and thank you for what you do. Absolutely. Thank you. 
Ah, Bess, thank you so much for coming on the show. I think that was just a wealth of information. I hope you guys got a lot out of that. If anything, that maybe it would be worth it to go look into seeing a pelvic floor PT. Um, I am going to leave Bess's contact information in the show notes. She says, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to her. She can be also found on Instagram at Inertia PT Abingdon, and I will link that as well. In addition to the resources she listed for finding a pelvic floor PT near you in case you are like, yep, definitely want to get on that train and get that going. And just knowing that like pelvic floor PT is the norm for women postpartum, it's like part of best practice and protocols and care. And that it's just normal for a woman to be like, okay, have my baby, going to go see my pelvic floor PT, you know, going to kind of build some of that strength back. And, you know, it's kind of like brushing your teeth. I think knowing that it's like that in other countries should really encourage us to make it more the norm here. I know pelvic floor PT is hit or miss with insurance coverage. So make sure you do check in on your insurance company. Or maybe if you're able, consider paying out of pocket for this resource, which is just going to add so much to your life. Well, guys, that's all I got for you today. So thanks for listening to the show and happy running. And again, if you're having the urge to go to the bathroom and you're not close to a bathroom, think quick, short steps and lean forward. See you guys. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Thank you.